0: Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast. I'm Sherry Budziak, CEO and founder of Dotwork Source. Association 4.0 is how we describe the skills needed to navigate Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Today, it is more important than ever for organizations to have a strong channel network. In this podcast, Sharon Rice, Managing Director of Business Strategy for Dotwork Source. We'll discuss the importance of channel networks and channel development with Jim Leahy, who is an accomplished association executive and global channel leader.
1: So I'm back with Jim Leahy today, talking specifically about channel development for associations. And we're gonna focus today a little bit more on chapters and chapters we think about primarily, I think, in North America, although many associations will have chapters across the globe. So, Jim, welcome, and thanks for being here.
2: Thanks, Sharon. It's good to be back, and uh, looking forward to kind of diving a bit deeper into the chapter part of channel management. So uh, thanks okay. again for inviting me today.
1: Great. Let's get started then. At the beginning of our last podcast, you talked about how business associations have enjoyed really a unique position in our society. And for years and years and years, it was almost like they were the only game in town, but more recently, I think for-profit companies have been looking at associations and saying, well, if that works for them, why can't it work for us? Why can't we have a for-profit that offers some of the same services as nonprofits? So we're seeing a whole lot more competition, I think in general, is that your experience as well?
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's. I I think we all can recognize in the association space that we're witnessing a lot more competition, be it from academic institutions or online training organizations or or frankly free content from the internet. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to kind of know organizationally what your value is and what you offer. And I firmly believe that associations remain in this really distinguished and unique position as unbiased, trusted agents who have these knowledge bases in these member bases that are really unparalleled in the market. And so let's not forget the value that we as an association community bring to industry and bring to individuals and bring to academia. And um, let's make sure we are aligned with the needs of the market today. So I think that we talked a lot about obviously channel management. And I think that fundamentally channel management principles can help associations adapt their strategies for this increasing competition, particularly with you know how their chapter networks relate to their whole partner cosm- cosmology or partner universe.
1: So let's dig in a little deeper there. When you talk about a partner network, which includes chapters a lot of times, sometimes it goes beyond just chapters. Why do partner networks matter today?
2: Right. Um, So great question. And just kind of as a uh, revisit, one of the key concepts of our our first podcast is if you have uh, chapters, partners, today, you already have a channel network. And Let's look at really what the value of a channel network run properly can be for an association. It provides you with the capability to have local presence, local market knowledge, and relationships in places that you're not currently geographically located. Partner networks are also cost efficient because these separate organizations are uh, building the market based on their funding, their, their, their dollar versus yours. Um, they're scalable, so you can add uh, partners where you need them. And properly executed, you can really revitalize growth. So channel partner networks most certainly matter, including chapters, because, again, they help you extend your capabilities without having to have direct staff to do it.
1: Yeah, and chapters are a little bit unique. So for um, organizations that have more extensive channel networks, and those channel networks include chapters, we also often think about chapters being kind of a special group of channel partners. Um, mm. They're certainly local organizations, right, but in a lot of ways, they mimic some of the services that the national or the international association is also providing. So It's it's interesting now, we talked a little bit in our last podcast about direct delivery and whether our chapter networks underneath our our total channel network are as relevant today as they have been in the past. What's your opinion about that? Are chapter networks still relevant? Uh,
2: My opinion is strongly yes, absolutely they are relevant, but probably not in the same way they were relevant five years ago 10 years ago 20 30 40 years ago when they were originally constructed so yes they're relevant but not in the same way that they traditionally were you know kind of back in the day and you and i've talked about this a lot sharon but um chapters were really the only way an association could engage with their members when their members were not at a regional national or international meeting you know kind of pre-internet and then of course Um, now, because only accelerated by COVID, members can really seamlessly engage digitally when and where they desire. But nevertheless, a healthy percentage of association members can really benefit from what I call that last mile engagement touch that chapters can provide, but they want to do it on their own terms. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that chapters are outmoded, but I think the way that chapters are kind of incented and governed and and framework is probably not in line with the needs of the market today. But that resource of those engaged volunteers helping engage your members is super valuable and managed properly with a channel strategy can really help accelerate uh, an association's growth
1: yeah it's interesting. I've heard you use a term before that I wasn't familiar with, so I'm going to ask you to to explain that a little bit to our listeners and that's channel stasis and and use that in in i think that you were referring to it in relationship to uh the governance of the chapter network. Could you talk a little bit more about that
2: sure yeah um it's a it's a term of my my own coining, but you know I think mm. a lot of times uh chapter networks they become stale and uh, what I call chapter stasis sets in. And that's really when there's not an active governance or an active management or an active channel strategy that is really trying to uh, help that, that community of partners move forward in alignment with the needs and the goals and the aspirations of the association. So things become stale. And a lot of times when things become stale, people start to second guess the, the relevancy of even having that partner network, but it's not about the the relevancy as much as it is, are you actively managing your channel? And if you're not, you're likely uh, going to succumb to what I call channel stasis, which is not a good thing, Sharon, as you can expect.
1: Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting because I think to a large extent we have, um, Many associations have kind of this love hate relationship with their chapters on the one hand, um, you know, they would like them to be required less, let's say less from a maintenance perspective or, or the, the uh, parent association may be feeling like they put a lot into their, uh, their chapters and they're not getting the same level of return it's not making as much of a difference. And so then we'll see periods of pullback a lot of times where they'll they'll stop supporting the the chapter network or stop engaging as much as they used to and it almost feels like you know there's um, peaks and valleys in that relationship but from a management perspective so that we bounce around from active to passive to active to passive management and so in some mm. ways when we look at that over the long haul um, it, it's not surprising that that Chapter stasis kind of sets in because we um, maybe we haven't been as as even or as diligent in applying our governance as we should be. what what are you seeing when we talk about what's the difference between an actively and a passively managed chapter network? what are what are some of the distinctions that you make?
2: Sure. Um, good question. So. One of my observations about kind of classic association management is that most of the chapter networks and most of the partner networks were managed passively. And a lot of times I like to kind of think of visual analogies. So the way that I observed when I entered the association sector that most volunteer partnerships were managed was you know think about a motorway, a highway of three or four lanes in, in a, you know going in one direction, and the, either side of those lanes are the um, the shoulders and I think kind of classic association management, that passive management is you kind of observe the traffic on the road, but you only engage when the traffic is veering off the road onto the shoulder um, you comment on the traffic, you see what direction it's heading in, but you don't necessarily actively try to direct that traffic in a direction that's in alignment with the organization. And so that that kind of classic association management, I think in this world, and we talked about it already with much more competition, I just think it's, it's outmoded. So the chapter management staff professional, uh, staff team of today, Needs to be much more active in aligning the needs of the association with the drives and the actions of the volunteer partner network. So, um, in doing so, and I think if if you use channel management strategies to to construct a much more active stance as it relates to your chapter network, it 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 will result not only in benefits for the association, but for the chapters themselves, because it's just a much more modern and productive way to dedicate resources. Because when you kind of passively do anything, you know, things can go in a variety of directions that are likely not good for the association, but frankly not good for the partners either.
1: Yeah, so let's kind of dig in a little bit more specifically, Mm. what, what do you think the components of like active channel management are? So, if an association is evaluating whether they really are actively engaged in managing their chapter network, or they're really more on the passive side, you know, what are what are some of the indicators? What are the some of the things that associations need to be doing um, if they want to actively manage their chapter network? Sure. So, you know, that active channel
2: management stance is really underpinned by a comprehensive channel program. And that Mm -hmm. channel program has some key elements. You know, the program is essentially, it's a document, it's a framework that has a balance of um, rules and benefits that are in the interest, both of the association and also of the partners, you know, there has to be, a clear rules of the road people need to know within the community, what is acceptable behavior and what is unacceptable behavior. And this might sound kind of very simplistic, but let me tell you, a lot of uh, chapters are probably not run with the right kinds of rules of the road. You know, Mm -hmm. the kinds of rules of the road that help really drive growth and drive engagement and drive the, uh, the, the member growth and member satisfaction. Um, So in addition to that, I think another element that's part of any channel program and needs to be the part of any chapter program is a very clear partner tiering and segmentation. You know, a lot of times with chapters, I observe that there's kind of what I would call a a three musketeers type construct. And what I mean by that is, you know, one for all and all for one, which is good. You know, Mm -hmm. in a volunteer network, you kind of have that egalitarian spirit. But in reality, the service levels and the capabilities of partners varies from partner to partner. And your clients, whether they're individual members or companies, need to be able to discern which partners are higher functioning and have better capability. Therefore, you need to have a very clear partner tiering and segmentation that rewards and identifies who the top performers are. There needs to be an annual evaluation process. So people really are held accountable for their actions. And as part of that, there needs to be kind of this annual call because if you don't curate actively, actively manage your network and you let underperformers gain benefit, then it accelerates that state of channel stasis, which as we know is not a good thing. And then the other thing is to have a very clear uh easy to understand channel partner agreement that um drives the right behaviors uh with with the partner community and i think if you look into the association space a lot of these elements exist with current chapter networks but not in the commercial way or with the commercial stance that um or the professional channel management stance that that i think can really help revitalize and and fully leverage. Um, what is a wonderful resource, these, these uh, local volunteer chapters?
1: So contracts of any form, I think, um, for a lot of people have kind of a negative connotation and mm. um, it's, I, I, and I'm, you know, I, anymore, I don't know why. I know when I started my career and we were starting to, I was having to look at, at contracts and originally it was with technology vendors and associations. but. I I, I picked up at that point that people really had a negative concept about contracts. But what I came to learn as I negotiate more and more contracts is that contracts clarify expectations on both sides. And the funny thing is, as difficult as contract negotiations can be, they make the rest of your relationship a whole lot easier when you're living into that, you know, the contract and you understood, you took the time and did the hard work to really understand. Um, what a win was for both sides and what your what the expectations are and what your responsibilities are, then it tends to support a smoother relationship. How much of, you know I talked before about that love hate relationship that a lot of associations have with their chapter networks? How much of that do you think in your experiences based on the fact that the chapters and the parent organization or the 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 uh, the main organization just don't share that set of expectations and understanding of? What works for both partners?
2: Yeah, I say th- I think it's a big. I, I think it's a contributing factor. I think a lot of times, you know, when you when you witness antipathy in groups of people, a lot of it emanates from lack of understanding and lack of appreciation of the value that the individual parties bring. So I think mm-hmm. if you're really looking to move uh, a network of partners forward, it foundationally you have to really understand. Uh, Not only what you're looking for and what's in it for you, but what's in it for them and then what they bring to the table. So I think once you, you know, you begin to have an appreciation for that value that that third party brings, at least if you can articulate it, it creates the right dynamic. Because I really think that love hate dynamic is really it's unfortunate and it it most definitely originates from misunderstanding on both sides and an anxiety um for the future and that directionally either the association or the partners don't feel like the the um the momentum is in is is to their advantage or uh is adding value to them so so you you know i did want to touch upon one other thing you mentioned which is the uh Mm -hmm. the the contracts and you know Mm -hmm. a lot of times contracts are like an act of war sharon i mean you know this (laughs) Uh, you've been involved in doing a lot of contracts and i think you know, when you're a a big market player with a lot of market power, you know, a fortune, whatever company, maybe you can be like dictatorial in your contracts. But in reality, when you're an association and you're trying to drive uh, partner relationships, you want to make sure the essentials are in there, you know, the right kind of framework to do the accountability and the stuff we already Mm -hmm. talked about. You want to make sure that there's legal cover for the association so that when your partners undertake activities, you're not somehow um, encountering liability. You wanna make sure that those partners are responsible for things like tasks, et cetera. So my advice for associations is, you know, don't try to have the perfect contract because a lot of time contracts are like prenup agreements. You only look mm-hmm. at them when you're going through a divorce. Okay, You negotiate them and you park them on a shelf, but you do wanna make sure there's within the framework it drives the right behaviors and it provides a context of protection, the right kind of protection for the association. And then don't try to get everything in there because um, that's just, you know, usually a recipe for uh, creating the wrong kind of conflict.
1: Yeah, make yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. Today, you know, as we're uh, we're recording this in the beginning of March and and 2021, and um, looking forward to some very hopeful signs about coming out of the pandemic and um, you know, kind of getting our economy back on track. And um, this has been a very difficult year for a lot of associations. And I think sure we talked is. about the first uh, podcast that uh, we see associations that hadn't gone through a digital transformation being forced to do so in 2020 just so that they could you know direct delivery. And what we're seeing a lot from a trend perspective, um, a catchphrase that's being used as more businesses, not not only associations but businesses as a whole, are delivering online more is this low touch economy. So we can see this almost anywhere if you Google low touch economy, um, you'll see that that we're talking about making this transition. Um, from high levels of customer service and high levels of contact to customers really helping themselves. And there's no question that that's happening. Um, I have a little trouble with the term because from a human nature perspective, um, and and this might be age, I'm challenging myself in my thinking on this, so I'm somewhere in between the beginning and the end of how I feel about this concept of the low-touch economy. Uh, Not the digital, but this this term low-touch is bugging me for some reason. And when yeah. I think about chapters, you know I, one of the things that I see is that um, a way that associations can kind of bounce back from uh, this period of isolation where we haven't been able to get together in person and we haven't had a lot of contact is that you know the local chapter may be a way to re-engage members. And I'm wondering, is this a good time for associations to look at revitalizing their chapter networks? And you know what would they? What would you recommend that they do if they're interested in revitalizing?
2: Uh, great, great question. I think it's absolutely a great time. You know, because uh, I think you and I and, and a lot of people do believe that there, you know, this pendulum may have swung completely in the direction of low touch and direct engagement, and there's going to be some profound changes because of COVID. So that those direct connections have become you know, more durable and mm-hmm. uh, more important. But it it's funny, you know, probably that association direct business is best suited for low touch interactions. But the reality is, is that a lot of members and clients need some local higher mm-hmm. or medium touch. And so, you know, the beauty is, is it doesn't have to be one or the other. <laughs> you can continue down the pathway where it makes sense to have that low touch in engagement and transactional relationship and direct engagement with with your clients and your members and it can be supplemented by having that local medium to higher touch capability as well so i think really these things are these concepts are very compatible and mm-hmm. so now is an excellent time to really Take a new look, a new approach with your partner network and make sure that it's aligned for the needs of the post-COVID era, which is a much more hybrid, seamless experience between that direct digital engagement uh, with periodic you know, national to international engagement at meetings uh, combined with uh, uh, a more in-depth uh, last mile local engagement.
1: And, you know, I think that, that I, I, I agree. I think that that's true. I, I just I think this is the part that I'm struggling with is that I just think as much as we've advanced from a digital perspective and I, you know, like helping myself to a large extent. One of the things I'm really connected to right now at this stage of, you know, the pandemic and, you know, where we are in um, being able to bounce back from that is that I think there's pent up demand. For mm. the high touch as well, and I like the way that you're talking about the fact that you know the the parent association can move down that direct delivery line and meet that need for the need for the people that are looking for more of that low touch experience. But for the people that really want to engage, in, and this is something that we're really seeing in the millennial generation, is that need to engage, um, not just online but in person. Your chapter network can be there for those members as well, and in the end you know, ultimately what the association should be focused on is facilitating members getting their needs met, whether it's at the national or international level or at the local level. So I really like that that kind of distinction that there's a role for each of these types of organizations to play. At the right, same exactly. time, Yes. what I will say is that I am empathetic with association clients who really work hard on getting you know their their chapters to change or to make change or to advance with the time and they they feel like they're really just kind of stuck and and they're managing the way that they've always managed and you know so I'm, I'm kind of wondering do you think that most chapters aren't interested in changing or what do you think that dynamic is when you have local volunteer leadership especially where you may not have yeah, I, staff at the chapter yeah number? I, I
2: Yeah, I think that the the belief that most chapters are stuck in the past is I understand where it comes from, but I think it's it's misplaced and it's a a symptom of a more passively managed channel altogether, because channel programs are ultimately not about telling or dictating what a third party partner does, including chapters, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not about micromanaging their day-to-day movements and um, trying to architect their innovations. Channels are about creating a framework that then incents the right behaviors and discourages or penalizes the wrong behaviors. And the power of this is that if you create that framework and you create the, the, the vision that is adopted not only by the association, but you know, by leaders within your chapter community. Then you can rely on the actions and decisions and innovations of your partners to drive things forward. So, so I think you know, um, there is a lot of opportunity in having an activated network of chapters that is really working relatively within the direction that you want them to, um, and is uh, driving innovation and driving engagement. And, and so um, I see great opportunities. I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, you've got such a long uh, history in, in engaging with chapter networks. What, what do you think about that misunderstanding that you and I, you know, witness from time to time? What's your thoughts?
1: Well, you know my base basically i I see myself even as a consultant as an educator, and I think that you know, in general uh, and, and it's all about people because chapters are led by people, right? Um, yep. It's about helping them kind of make sense of what's going on and the changes that need to be made or where their market is changing, or the new kind of member, you know, the millennial member that's coming in. and I do think, that when we provide people with a combination of the a belief that they can make the change and then also incentives to make those changes, that will often, if they have the time available, and this is the, the dynamic of having volunteer-led chapters, and, and we can't underestimate that. If the volunteer leaders have the chi- time to make the change, we provide them with you know, the information and the incentives that they need to make those changes, I think more often than not, they're going to you know, move down that path. At the same time, what I will say, and you know, I'm not, um, I'm not such a Pollyanna about this that I don't see um, with some of my clients where they have partners that, and they may, by the way, I mean, I'm, I'm going to use more broad terms here, not just chapters, but partners of any kind that are so kind of stuck in their way of managing and how they do things that they simply just are going to push back when you when you try to introduce new information or you try to introduce new incentives. um, or offer them you know what could be new insights or education they're just going to push back and. Those aren't good relationships And, and i'm kind of curious from your perspective, you know how do you deal with that partner who won't change. It, when you've given it a, a good try, let's say, not right off the bat, but you, you just are seeing that the partner's not going to change, and they're making a negative impact on your organization. Um, you know, maybe they're not adequately addressing the needs of the market they're in, so they're, they're hampering your growth, or maybe um, they're just a negative influence on other partners. How do, you, how do you deal with the chapter that isn't going to change?
2: Well, um, great, great question. I think ultimately, it, anything you do as it relates to kind of revitalizing or reengineering your chapter network, as we discussed in the first podcast, it has to start with the needs of your members and your customers. You can't lose sight of the fact that ultimately what you're trying to do is to develop resources and drive behaviors that meets the needs of the customer, which is the member or the client. Your partners are never your customer. Your chapters are never your customers. They are your partners. And you can best serve them by having a very clear and distilled framework on how you govern your channel that holds people accountable for their behavior. So I would say to answer your question, how you handle it is um, through having a very well-developed and clear channel program that is actively managed and actively curates those who are performing and not performing. And then you let the chips fall where they may, and you let individuals make choices on how they want to spend their time and what behaviors they want to exhibit. And um, that's how I believe is the best way to to manage a channel. And, you know, a lot of times we've we've come upon um, in the association space, these loud voices, you know, a lot of times they're long-serving leaders within a a chapter community or within an association volunteer community, these, you know, they're dissenters. Now, personally for me, whenever I come upon somebody who's a, a, let's say an exuberant dissenter, that's never bothered me because I find a lot of times that people who are passionate are are trying to, to drive for excellence. And if you can find passionate people to get behind what you want, those are actually the kind of people you want. So personally, for me, uh, as part of my journey in any channel that I've managed is I've actually grav- gravitated to at least understand the point of view of those Um, passionate dissenters who are productive, you know, the passionate dissenter who's not doing anything, I wouldn't spend a lot of time with, but the passionate dissenter who's actually being productive, they're probably worth a listen. And um, you don't have to agree with them, but you need to understand at least what their point of view is. And I have found that, um, particularly in in a chapter construct, as long as people... Feel their point of view is at least heard and understood, they don't necessarily need you to agree with it. So, you know, I think um, all of this comes down to sharing what we talked about already. It's a much more interactive, active management. You know, you can't do a lot of the things you need to do to architect change and architect revitalization if you're sitting on the viaduct, observing the traffic and the flow of lanes, and only getting involved when people go out of bounds and go on the shoulder. This will not work. This is the passive model. And back in the day when associations were king and there wasn't a lot of competition, um, that was okay, but it's not okay now. You need to be actively engaged. You need to have a vision of where directionally you're looking for the association and the channel to head in, and you need to kind of gain buy-in for that, you know? So uh, I know I kind of blethered on and on there, but um,
1: <laughs> very uh, sorry awful. about
2: that. Sorry about no, that. No. I'm sure you wanted to hit the mute button on me, Sharon.
1: No, no, no. It's. I mean, I. no, I think that this is really, I think everything we're talking about is really important, especially, again, for organizations that are looking forward to coming out of the pandemic and how do they um, work with their channel network as a whole, but especially their chapter network, to be partners right. in, in getting their uh, member needs met as we move forward. So this has been great, Jim. Thank you so much for participating. I know we have um, another podcast scheduled that I just want to tell people about Uh, the next time that Jim and I are together. We're going to talk about creating an international channel. And I think for a lot of associations that aren't already, or maybe they just are dabbling a little bit with international partners, this is going to be an important uh, conversation for you to hear and to be able to lean into Jim's experience on this because um, you have quite an extensive background on the international, the non-North American side of uh, channel development. So we'll look forward to that. Um, In the meantime, Jim, how can people get a hold of you if they have questions about anything we've been talking about today with chapters?
2: Oh, excellent. They can contact me at Jim at revivoassociates.com. It's R-E-V-I-V-O associates.com.
1: And of course, you can reach me at sharon at orgsource.com as well. So, Jim, I look forward to talking about International Channel with you next time. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks. Thanks, Sharon. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. OrgSource org source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology strategy and marketing please contact us at info at orgsource.com to find out how to get your organization on track to association 4.0 you can also engage in other educational content by becoming a member of dot org community or reading our books on Association 4.0, which you can find on Amazon. We look forward to hearing from you soon.